thank you for all you're doing among us. And we ask now that you open our hearts to hear your word, to recognize who we are and what you're doing with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, okay. There we go. One of the things that uh, I've been trying to sort of instill in us is an awareness of who we are. We are earth. We are earth. We're made of the earth contents. We're made of the dust that God has put together. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you about the blind man that Jesus healed by spitting on some dirt, making mud, and putting it in his eyes when he was born blind. And basically, Jesus, who was the word from before time, when humanity was being formed, it says God formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed the breath of life. So in effect, Jesus took the dust of the earth, moistened it, because we're made up of 60-70% water, and put it into that person's eye and formed the eyeball, as it were. Park that. We just finished singing. We sing holy. King of kings, you are holy. So what is a king without a domain? The Shah of Iran today lives in the UK. Is that correct? In the US? Thank you. Is he still king? To you he is king. But what is he king over? Nothing. He has no authority. He has no domain. He's just by name, by honor... In your hearts and your minds, king. Until such a time that he comes and takes possession of a land, he's no king. Right? So who's really ruling Iran today? Not the Shah. One of the mullahs. Right? Why? Because they have authority over land. Park that. So you have humans who are made of earth. You have kings who are kings over a domain, which is a territory of land. And we say God is king of kings. And we say that his children, we, Paul, or Peter, and Peter tells us that you are a royal priesthood. In other words, you are priests and Kings. Kings over what? What are you king or queen over? Well, the Shah is not king over Iran because he doesn't have possession of the land. But you are a king and queen over this chunk of earth, your body, and everything in it. 
You with me so far? Is that clear? Do you want me to go in a little bit deeper? The peace of earth that the Lord, and some of us have more earth than others. That means we're more responsible for that earth. A little baby has very little earth. He needs somebody to watch over him or she needs somebody to watch over her to make sure that they handle that well. That's a province. That's not a country yet. But as this child grows, they are a country. They are king over that country, uh, country that, that chunk of earth, right? But as we grow, as we mature, God gives us more and more control over that land. We're comfortable with that. So we now see the chunk of earth that we have, we are king and queen over. We see that kings are not kings unless they have control or rule over a domain, a chunk of earth. And God is the king of kings. In other words, he is the king over the kings that have kingdoms, that have domains that they control. So he calls Abraham and he says to Abraham, Abraham, I know you're a chunk of earth. I'm going to take you. Now leave this country. Leave this chunk of earth that you are on. And by the way, when they ask you where you're from, we try to identify with an ethnic group, right? Or the land of that ethnic group. Yesterday I had to uh, drive to Niagara Falls, New York for an interview for my Nexus card. I had to leave Canada, cross the border, so they asked me citizenship. Citizenship, my passport is Canadian, so I tell them I'm Canadian. My passport says place of birth, Egypt. That's fine. I go through, I go to my interview, everything's fine. Now I'm coming home. They ask me the same thing, citizenship. I give them my passport. How long have you been out? All the questions, the regular questions. Why were you there? What were you doing? I was gone for half an hour. What were you there for? My interview. Okay, welcome home. Off you go. Right? So when we are in Canada, unless you are of the people of this land, and who are they? They're the First Nations, the Inuit, and then later we've added the Métis, who are the children of the intermarriage between the First Nations and the French. But they even were not of this land originally. They migrated across the north or down the, across the waters. So we identify with an ethnic origin based on the land of origin of our ancestors. You with me so far? So Egyptians, they controlled the river Nile and that whole area there, there of the land that we call Egypt. They were born there. They were raised there. Their body makeup is made up of the earth that's there. So we each have a portion of that in our makeup. You may be ethnically Armenian, but born in Egypt, but you have Egyptian soil that you've eaten the food of, the fruit of, and now your parents have given birth to you and you have a connection to that land. Now those who are born in Canada, they may be Armenians, Iranians, Turks, Germans, Jews, whatever. They have connection to this land. 
So you have in you now a level of authority that is related to the land that you're living on and consuming the fruit of. So far, so good. Now, the Old Testament, we are told in the New, that it is the story of God and his dealing with humanity through the family of Abraham. And specifically, through his son Isaac and his son Jacob and his 12 sons, the 12 children of Jacob, who was later named Israel. So it's a story of Israel. And the Bible in the New Testament tells us that everything that happened to Israel is a lesson for us to know how we ought to live. Okay, so far so good. So we're going to look at today how Israel took control of the land territory that God had given them. So think along with me here. If they are an example for us to know how to live, we can misunderstand it and think that this is a lesson of how the church has to take control of land. It does also mean that. But the more practical, personal teaching that comes out of this example is the lessons that we can take from the victories and the failures of Israel and how Israel took possession and became king over the domain it was entrusted with. So what Israel does in the territory of land that God had given it is a lesson for us to know how we have to live as kings and queens over the territory of land God had given us. Clear so far? Anybody have anything to say? Not to say, but like you want me to open it up even further. I don't want to, to make this a dialogue and I'll pass the mic around. That's not my point. But if you want me to dig this out a little bit more or nuance it a bit more. You and I are king over this body. And there are examples for us in the Old Testament that we learn from as to how to take control and become true kings over our lives. So, when we are born again, when we come to know Jesus as our Savior, there's something that happens that he now refreshes this dynamic of royalty over this land. Up until such a time that we are just living our lives, we are living in the natural. Things happen. So in the natural, based on circumstances, based on wherever we are, exactly what happened to the land of Canaan happens within our lives. In the land of Canaan, there were many Canaanites. There were Hittites, there were Jebusites, there were Amorites, there were Moabites. There were all kinds of people living on that land. And those people, when Abraham was told to come and live there, and God promised him to give him all this land, in Genesis, he tells us that he will not take possession of this land, God will, God will not give him yet, until the sin and the iniquity of the people on this land was no more. It could not go any higher. God was giving them chance. Now that's with the people. 
because they were the kings of those lands. They were the people responsible for those lands. But the Bible says that because they did not repent and come to God, he removed them and brought a different people because the land itself vomits out of itself unrighteousness. Okay, so far so good. The land doesn't want righteous, unrighteousness in it. It wants righteousness. Park that idea. That's not really where we're going to dig into, but I just want to make that statement. The land itself can't stand unrighteousness. It doesn't want bloodshed that's innocent. It doesn't want war. It doesn't want rape. It doesn't want sexual perversion. It doesn't want broken covenant. It doesn't want idolatry. It wants, the land wants God through his people to live at peace on this land. Think about us now. Our bodies don't like conflict. Our bodies react to, to things that are not well around us. Our bodies can't stand when we are, you know, <laughs> sexual perversion. Yeah, it feels good to the body at the moment, but guess what? It has consequences. Conflict, your body begins to react to conflict. Your heart beats, your flesh reacts, your sweat, your, your flesh, your, your body, all the stress that goes with conflict, your body feels. Because the earth wants righteousness to prevail on it. It spews out whatever is unrighteous. It doesn't want it to live there. As a matter of fact, God told Israel, if you do not obey my commands and you worship the idols of this land, the land itself will vomit you out. Why? Because land wants God's kingdom to govern on it. Your body is made for God's kingdom to govern it. But Israel ends up, you know, Abraham is traveling through there. There's famine. So he finds place in Egypt. He goes and settles in Egypt and comes back. There's more famine. His son goes to Egypt and comes back, but they still don't have control over the land. They're tourists, if you will. Jacob now, his sons, there's a conflict. You know, if you know the story, it's in Genesis. The youngest, second youngest son, the son of Jacob, whose name was Joseph, was made to be a prophet. God gave him visions and dreams, and he saw how he became the ruler over his brothers. That was the promise of God. But between the promise and, someone said, the promise and the palace. Between the promise and the palace, there's a process. And he couldn't quite get that process down when he was young. So God allowed his brothers to sell him off as a slave. So before he can get from the promise to the palace, he had to go to the pit. And in that process... God worked in him to bring him to the place that he now served his brothers. And when the famine came, they also came to Egypt and lived in Egypt. And you know the story. But here's an aspect of the story that we sometimes forget. And this is the, the, the reality. When they were in Egypt, the Pharaoh that was there at Joseph's time loved Joseph. He gave him authority and he made him second in command to Pharaoh. But after that Pharaoh died, the next generation and the generation after forgot about Joseph. 
somehow we who are made of earth have memory, but we also have memory loss. God programmed us that way. This earth has memory. The earth, the land, the ground, the earth, whatever you plant, has memory. But it also has memory elasticity. It can forget. It can forget what happened to it, and it can keep going. It can forget the good. It can forget the bad. We are very resilient. That's actually a positive. When we go through stress, and this earth reacts to the stress, and we begin to feel the effects of, our, of that stress on our bodies, our bodies have the ability to forget that. Have you ever had to lift weights and the muscle builds lactic acid and the lactic acid begin to burn inside your muscles and you just can't take anymore and your coach or your teacher tells you to keep going and your legs begin to hurt, but 15, 20 minutes later, your body has forgotten that. It has a self-cleansing mechanism. It may take you a little bit longer. If you're doing weights and you've ripped muscle because there's no pain, there's no gain, it may take you a few days before your muscles rebuild or reheal if you've torn them. If you've shorn, torn a rotator cuff, it'll take you a few weeks. But, you know, when they do surgery to hip replace, that surgery will take a few weeks before it's healed, etc., etc., etc. There's an elasticity to the memory. I don't remember the pain of my hip surgery. All I do is now enjoy the benefit. So the earth has the ability to forget. So we humans have the ability to forget. People of Egypt forgot the benefit that they got from the Jews. And they were threatened by them and they wanted to enslave them. So the Pharaoh says, make them slaves. So they became slaves in Egypt. Now God has not forgotten the promise he made Abraham that he is going to make him king or give him this land for him and his family, the land called Canaan, so that they can live there. Why? Because going back to Adam, Adam had the whole planet, but Adam failed. So God is looking for someone to redeem a piece of land. He could have picked somebody in India. And given him the territory of one of the provinces. But he found that at that time, they hadn't quite spread that far maybe, but it was right after the Tower of Babel. And in that region, he found one person that was righteous, that was not worshiping idols. And that was Abraham. So he started to work with Abraham. He could have picked anybody else. It, he had to pick somebody. So we, if he picked Abraham, well now we can ask the question, why the Jews, why Abraham? If he had picked pharaoh's great grandchild we would have asked the same question why that guy why this person and so forth the point is he picked someone and because he picked someone the rest of us are jealous so we're jealous of the jews because they were the ones that god had picked but guess what if he had picked xerxes the jews and the rest of the world would have been per, uh, uh, jealous of the persians take your pick what do you want to be on you are where you are so he picked Abraham, and now he wants to take a chunk of the earth, a chunk of the land, and work it so that there is righteous people, so that the land produces righteous product, righteous fruit, so that his kingdom can be expressed in a territory. He's still looking today for the same. 
He's looking for individuals that will take this piece of land that God has entrusted to us and submit it to his kingdom. So the lesson is clear. The parallel is clear. Israel is dealing with Canaan. You and I are dealing with our bodies. If you're a smaller body, guess what? It's not any easier than if you're a big body. It's the same troubles. It's the same challenges. It's the same chemical reactions. You have the same organs inside. It has nothing to do with body shape or body size. It has to do with something else, something to do with your decision making. So, now that we've heard all that background, are you ready for the word of God? Like the Bible, what the Bible has to say about this. So, let's open up to Joshua chapter 24. The last chapter of the book of Joshua. Now, Moses was the one that God used to bring them out of Egypt. They are now in the wilderness. The wilderness is not supposed to be their final destination. They're supposed to go into the land of Canaan, the land that he promised his family, his, uh, his, their great-grandfather, Abraham. So Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Sechem and summoned the elders and the heads of the judges. And he says to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, uh, God of Israel long ago, Long ago, your ancestors Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through the land of Canaan. I'm going to jump down to this. When I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, the land of Egypt was ruled by a pharaoh and there was idolatry. And they were doing their thing. When I brought you out of that land, you came across, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your ancestors with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. Okay? I'm going to skip to the blue. Verse 8. Then I brought you to the land of Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought you, and I handed them over to you, and you took possession of their land. I destroyed them before you. So now, when you are born again, you have habits, you have mindsets, you have all kinds of stuff that's now attached to this land. None of us are clean. None of us are without sin. None of us are righteous. All of us are born with stuff. You want proof? We die. This land expires. Every single human on the planet dies. Every single human on the planet, whether Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, whatever religion, it doesn't matter. We all have the same issues. Our land can't handle things because of sin. It will expire. Some expire after the best before date. Some the best before date and the expiry are exactly on the same day. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I want to live hard and leave a good-looking corpse. Guess what? Sometimes you don't leave a good-looking corpse. Whatever the case, may God give you all long life and health for all your days. May your expiry and your best before date be the same. For the sake of those around you as well as for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. 
So this land that we have has got these enemies. Some of these enemies we have inherited because of our culture. What does that mean? Some of these enemies that live in this land, we don't even know they're enemies. They could become our friends now. And they're living there and they're affecting how we behave. If you're born in Canada in 2020 or 2080s and 90s, you have been brought up in the mindset and in the culture of Canada. If you have a twin who's raised somewhere across the world, that twin is going to have a totally different mindset depending on where they are raised. We each have stuff. Some of those mindsets are great. Some of them are terrible. If you've been raised in a communist country, you probably had to do anything possible to survive. If you're living in an oppressed country, your business dealings may be a little bit different than someone who's living in a free country. You're a little bit more tolerant to wrongdoing. You're maybe more tolerant to cheating the government, to side business, to under the table cash deals. Those are all things that are unrighteous. You know, I'll hide this from my taxes. Ah, who's going to know? I'm going to bribe this government official and I'll be fine. These are some external things. But there's also some internal things that we carry that are mindsets that are how we deal with each other. How much tolerance we have to lying, to sexual immorality. It may not be called immorality. It may be called sexual freedom. But it's the same thing. Right? Depending on where you're coming from, depending on when you're born, your tolerance to all of these things changes. And it was the same with Israel. God is telling them, I have driven these people out from before you. So when we're born again and the Spirit comes and lives with us, in us, within us, there is a miracle that happens that He without us even being aware sometimes, drives out certain of these things from our hearts and our minds and some demonic things. And he just does them because his presence is so strong that it does them. You good so far? Does that make sense? But nothing that happens at salvation is perfectly clean. Like you are now born again, but you're not now angel. You're still who you are. You still have some of those old mindsets. They still live in the mind. They still live in the heart. Your decisions are still not 100%. Just because you're born again, it doesn't make us exactly like Christ, thinking like Him, living like Him. So look at this chapter. He says, I sent swarms of hornets ahead of you to drive out before you the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow or bow. He did this. God does this on his own without them doing anything. He comes in and he cleans up certain things. He goes on. Now therefore, Joshua is telling the people of Israel. Now therefore, revere the Lord and serve him. So now that you're born again, now that you've been baptized, now that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, 
now that you are a Christian, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river. Put away those old mindsets as Christians now. Put away the tolerance of sexual impurity, of dabbling with certain behaviors. Put away those things because this land will not accept it. It only wants righteousness. It wants God to reign. It wants you as king and queen of the king of kings and king of queens, right? It wants you to control this chunk of land in such a way that it brings reverence to God. And he says, and serve the Lord. Now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites. Who do you want to serve? Do you want to stay stuck in the old mindsets that you've inherited from your old family dynamics? Do you want to stay stuck in those mindsets of other faiths or even Christian teachings that you've received that was not fully compatible with the scripture? Or do you want a renewing of your mind constantly so that this chunk of land called you becomes fully compatible and fully aligned to the kingdom that God has in store for it? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We all have heard this. Some of us have plaques on our walls. Me and my household, we were, this is where it's from. This is when Joshua is standing there confronting the people of Israel, knowing who they are and what they're made of. Knowing who he is and what he's made of. Knowing who you and I are and what we're made of. The people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And how many times have we struggled with that? You hear a good sermon, you hear, uh, you hear something in your heart, you read something and you want to recommit yourself to alignment. For it is the Lord our God who brought us, and now they're confessing it with their mouth. And who did these great things in our sight. He protected us all along the way and we went that we went and among the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us the people, the Amorites who lived in the land, Therefore, we will also serve the Lord. He is our God. I pray that that's your heart and that's your decision. I pray that you are constantly bringing yourself to the place where you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. Holy King of Kings. We were just singing it. You cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Is this right? It's in the Bible. Whatever's in the Bible has to be right. But who's saying it? He's warning them. I get it. He's trying to get them to not go back on their word. But that's not truth. That's not truth. He will forgive your transgressions. He will forgive your sins. As a matter of fact, just read down two, three chapters. Repeatedly, whatever Joshua told them, God does the opposite. So you have to know how you read your Bible. You have to know who's saying it. 
Is it a warning? Like when Adam told Eve, hey, don't even touch the tree. God never said anything about touching the tree. Who's saying it and what are they adding to it? My point is, get to know your Bible. Get to know how to read it. That's why I keep putting this QR code so you can scan it so you have no excuse. You have a Bible with you on your phone and you can't go anywhere without your phone these days. So you always have the Bible with you. So when you're on the subway, when you're sitting in the toilet, I don't know if you take your phone to the toilet, but wherever you are, my point is take the time and use it to read the Bible. I'm going to the extreme ridiculous in the toilet. But God can use any time and any place to speak to you. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you. And after having done you good. Do you ever feel that way? That I'm being judged now and God is going to harm me? And, or somebody comes and tells you, hey, listen, you know, you're suffering because you didn't do good. That's such a human reaction. I want to tell you today, that is not God's heart. That's what Joshua said to them. That's to the extent of his revelation and his understanding at that time of who God is. He has just gone through God judging Egypt. God wasn't judging Egypt. God was trying to get Egypt to also repent, but we don't see it that way. Because later in Isaiah's time, he says, Egypt, my beloved. Blessed be Egypt, my beloved people. God doesn't do that. He doesn't, he allows certain things to happen. He shakes things, but let me show you why. And then he says, you are, witness, we, you are witnesses against yourself. Yeah, I get it. The language is harsh. He's trying to get the, make the point. And today, by the way, we are witnesses against ourselves. If we say that we are going to stay true to the Lord, there are angels, there are powers, there are principalities that are witnessing our commitment. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statutes and ordinances them, for them at Sechem. Joshua said to the people, See, this stone shall be a witness against us. It has heard all the words of the Lord. Stones, walls, eyes, ears. We're making commitments before the Lord. Let's take this seriously. And then Joshua dies and now they come into the land and now they're being divided. So now we're at the point where Joshua's dead, Moses is dead, and now they're coming and they're now in the land. They're in the land. So now that's like salvation. We are now possessing the land. We have been given this land and we are now on a journey to complete the transformation during our lifetime. We call the initial salvation point redemption. That's when you're born again. We call this journey sanctification where you are being made Say it louder. Holy. Right? In the process of being sanctified, we are being... Holy means set apart. In the process of sanctification, we are being set apart. In other words, this body is being set apart. It's being cleaned up. You know, there are dishes outside that are set apart just for gluten and gluten-free cookies we don't mix the two we wash them and we use them interchangeably yes but my point is that there's one 
for that purpose. It's set apart for that. We don't take the biscotti from one and put it with the gluten-free uh, chocomoco, whatever it's called, in, in the other bowl, right? They're set apart. We don't put tea in the coffee pots because they have been set aside for coffee. They now smell like coffee. They now feel like coffee. If you put hot water in and pour it, it's going to smell a little bit coffee-ish. We have a machine that's just there for water. You can get hot, cold, and neutral type water. But the, everything has its purpose. This is now being sanctified so that it is holy land to contain the glory and that it doesn't tolerate unrighteousness. Just like the land of Canaan. So now, if we read through this chapter, you will find some amazing things that will remind you of you and me. That Israel did. The Lord said, they asked the Lord, who shall go first? And he said, Judah shall go in hereby. I hereby give the land into their hands. But the, the deal was, when you go into the land, drive out. Drive out. Push out the enemies that were living in the land. And they continue and they tell us what happened. Uh, and then... All through this, you find that it's very interesting. Where am I here? Uh, okay, that's verse 3. I'm coming down to verse 16. The descendants of Hobab the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah from the city of the of Palms into the wilderness. They went and settled. With the Amalekites. You and I have some Amalekites that we need to deal with. The Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Oh. Whoever wrote this book is, is an amazing author because he's telling us that these children of Israel, of Judah, when they were in Egypt... God buried or drowned the chariots of iron of Egypt. But now that they come into Canaan, they live with them, the chariots of the Amalekites or the inhabitants of the plain. You and I, after we're saved, we're walking and tolerating and living with all kinds of garbage that doesn't belong here. I'm not talking about what's in the culture. Forget what's in the culture. You're not going to be able to change anything in the culture, in society, in the school system, in the education system, in the medical system, in whatever system you're in, in government, if we're not clean, if we haven't driven out those enemies within us. The Benjaminites did not drive out the Jebusites. They live among the Benjaminites to this day. So they showed the, okay. So the man went, another, another situation here where the house of Joseph asked this man to help them and he helped them and they killed everybody except for this man and his family and he went to start a city called Luz. It's still there to this day. Israel got strong, grew strong. They put Canaanites to forced labor. Ah, oh, you know what? This mindset of mine, even though it's corrupt, I can use it. 
I can take advantage of it. It can help me advance. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Zebulun did not drive the inhabitants of Kitron. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko. The inhabitants of Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants. The Amorites pressed the Danites back into the hill country. So when we look at this, you and I need to understand, and I'm not going to continue much longer, but we need to understand that there are some things that we have instinctively brought with us because of what we have been raised to think and how we've been raised to function. Those things are still there. Those things need to be driven out. Do you recognize some of those things in your life? Or do you think you're totally without any of those things? Being sneaky. Not being loving. Not being tolerant. Not being forgiving. Not being like Jesus. Not loving like Jesus. Not loving to the point of pain. Not loving to the point of suffering. Not forgiving. I said that already. But all those things that are not like Jesus, that's what he's trying to dig out. I hope I've presented the problem and I've related it to how the nation of Israel dealt with it. They have amazing lessons. It's not about us coming into society and trying to push back on society's garbage and say that, no, we will not tolerate this in our school system, we will not tolerate this in our government, we will not tolerate... Guess what? It starts here. If this is not changed, you and I have no authority to step into the sphere of the land to bring any change to the land, to the culture, to the society. So you and I need to begin to identify who these individuals are that are living in our land and get that dealt with. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now, these are the nations that the Lord left to test all those in Israel who had no experience in war in Canaan. When they were coming out of Egypt, when Joshua was leading them into Canaan, that generation knew how to battle those enemies. But why? Because they knew how to follow the Lord in obedience and he drove them out. This next generation, this is now after Joshua died. Joshua led them and he died at the age of 110. He led them for about 30 years. This is now the next generation. Remember I told you there's memory, elasticity, and there's memory and forgetfulness. You and I, we forget and we allow these enemies to resurface. And God leaves them there. Well, if he saved me, why hasn't he saved me completely? He saved you completely. But you have a responsibility to work on the land that he's given you. We'll talk about that next week. Let's all stand. Father, we just want to thank you for the richness of your word, for the gentleness of your love all through history, for your patience with your people, for the way you conduct yourself, 
for the times that you pull back and say, I will not continue with you, but then you relent and you come back and you continue because of your love. Lord, you have been so patient with each of us, with all the garbage that we carry in our land, in ourselves, in our minds. We come to you today, Lord, in a desperate state, saying, Lord, we have tried so many things individually, but we need your touch. We need you, Holy Spirit, to drive some of these things out. The things that need to be driven out, we ask you to drive them out even today, in Jesus' name. The things that you have left intentionally to train us for war, we ask today for training in war. Not war against the culture, not war against society, not war against anybody physical, but war in the spirit. That our flesh and blood battle is not flesh and blood, but our battle is against powers and principalities in heavenly places. In our land, in our society, in our cities, in our countries. But let's start with that land that we can affect most readily. So we come to you and we say, Lord... By the renewing of our minds, transform us, change us, show us these enemies that are in hiding, and train us in war. Train us to be able to fight with the left hand and the right hand. Train us to be able to fight the invisible enemies that are looking in the shadows. Train us to be like Christ, to give glory to you in the land that you have entrusted us. We thank you, we bless you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.